You don't need me to tell you that we are living in very challenging times. And I think that makes the whole question of God more and more relevant. Does God exist? What do we mean by the word God? Does the word God point to an actual reality? Is there room for God in our scientific and modern world? These are all relevant questions, and they're not just theoretical, philosophical questions. They have great existential relevance for our day-to-day -day lives, individually and collectively. Let me put it in this context. Carl Jung, the great psychologist, said that religion is just part and parcel of the human spirit. Think of all the cultures all over the world. There's always some kind of religious, spiritual component to these cultures. Again, the human spirit is just naturally religious. The, another great psychologist that I like, Viktor Frankl, he says that the human psyche, the human mind, the human heart is oriented towards transcendence, that we're constantly trying to move beyond where we are at any given moment in time. So I'm going to make a bold statement. We all have a God. We all have an operational deity. We all have a point of loyalty, a primary reference point that guides our life. So again, in that sense, we all have a God, lowercase g. And this is the point. This is the truth. We become the God we believe in. We become the God that we worship. So if money, for example, is our God, material possessions, over time, we will become narrowly focused in our perspective, and we will be driven in a primary way by greed. And we will tend to put things, possessions, above people. By contrast, if we're motivated by something noble, by a noble vision, if we're motivated by a pure level of truth, beauty, and goodness, then our lives, our consciousness, our actions, our thoughts, our words, our emotions take on the qualities of truth and beauty and goodness. We can deny this religious spirit, but it's going to manifest in some way, shape, or form. Just look at our present culture. Politics have become the new religion. And if you look at the far left and you look at the far right, they both tend to be very dogmatic. God forbid, no pun intended, God forbid you violate or you disagree with one of their tenets. Uh, they have a, a zealousness and a righteousness that rivals any kind of religious zealousness zealousness or righteousness. So we can't, again, we can pretend that we don't have this religious spirit, this movement in us towards something transcendent, but it's still going to manifest. One of the other things I will say about the left and the right, they're like 
religious fundamentalists in that, again, I'm talking about the far left and the far right, in that some of their claims really uh, deny science. So we have to deal with this religious spirit inside of us, this spiritual orientation. And that, of course, brings us back to the question of God. And I'll share a little story. A number of years ago, I was giving a workshop uh, for a secular company on meditation. And they wanted me to help them reduce their stress and to be more effective and more focused at work. So again, it was a secular context. But somewhere in my presentation, I just made the comment that if you are a religious or spiritually oriented person, uh, meditation will help in your conscious contact with the divine, with the higher power. And at the end of my presentation, a woman came to me, a very bright woman. She was a, a lawyer. And she said to me, I don't believe in God. And then I said to her, the God that you say doesn't exist, doesn't exist. She looked at me and she said, well, what do you mean? And I said, when most people say that God doesn't exist, they have a notion of God as a demigod in the sky, a superhero in the sky, a little man, a little woman sitting on a throne somewhere up there, a sky god. And I said, that God doesn't exist. So, I want to wrestle in this podcast with what do we mean by God. And let me just throw this out as a kind of disclaimer, maybe as a qualifier. The words we use always point to a reality. They don't capture the reality, they point to the reality. It's the same thing with the word God. The word God cannot capture the mystery that mystics describe as the divine, as the absolute. But because we're human beings, we have to use words. But I just want to point out that the word God cannot adequately ever capture what we mean, what the mystics mean by God. But let me go to another personal story, and I think this will move us in the right direction. I was 15 at the time, and it was during the summer, and it was very hot, and I was driving in a car with a friend. He was a couple years older than I was, and it was his car, and we had the windows rolled down because the cars didn't have, most of the cars didn't have air conditioning then, and so the wind was blowing in, and I can't explain why it happened, but I had a kind of mystical experience. I went into a state of bliss. It was as if I was just experiencing what I would call pure, unadulterated love. And I'd never experienced that before. Again, it was a kind of subtle ecstasy without any drugs or anything like that. I'm not talking about an emotional experience per se. I'm not talking about anything erotic. It was just this sense of pure love. And I turned to my friend and I said, there must be a God. And he looked at me and said, what are you talking about? And I said, I'm experiencing this pure love. This is what people must mean by the word God. So what I'm trying to say is that the word God, and 
this is true for all of the world's mystics, whether they're Christian or Jewish or Hindu. The word God represents a reality. It represents something that transcends the word God. It transcends any sort of cognitive intellectual uh, characteristic. That the word God is pointing to something that is absolutely good, absolutely love, the very essence of love, the very essence of joy, the very essence of goodness, the very essence of truth, the very essence of beauty. Haven't we all experienced some level of some of those characteristics? We've all had joy and bliss in our life. We've all had a sense of wonder and awe. We've all had a, a wonderful experience of beauty at one time or another. The very essence of beauty, truth, goodness, and love is what the mystics are referring to as love. I want to read a quote from one of my heroes, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, because I, I want you to really get the sense that when we talk about God as being love, we're not just talking about something that is sentimental. We're talking about something that has substance. It's something essential and real, yet it transcends our categories. It's interesting to note that in the New Testament, John, the beloved disciple of Jesus, describes God or defines God as love. God is love. And there's a great yogi philosopher from India, Swami Sri Yukteswar, who said that love is God. But let me read this quote from, from Dr. Martin Luther King. The end goal is reconciliation. The end is redemption. The end is the creation of the beloved community. It is this type of spirit in this type of love that can transform opposers into friends. The type of love that I stress here is not eros, a sort of romantic love, not philia, a sort of reciprocal love between personal friends, but it is agape, which is profound understanding, a profound understanding and goodwill for all men. It is an overflowing in love which seeks nothing in return. It is the love of God working in the lives of men and women. This is the love that may well be the salvation of our civilization. So again, when we're talking about God, particularly when I refer to the mystics, mystics go beyond dogma. They don't reject dogma, but they go beyond dogma. They go beyond theology. They go beyond concepts. They've entered into the very essence of reality, the very fabric of reality. And what they all say is that at the very essence of reality, the very ground of our being is permeated with truth, beauty, and goodness, is permeated with this blissful love. That is what the mystics are referring to. That's what I'm referring to when I use the word God. I have a, another quote from, from Carl Jung, and, and this is the point in terms of what I read from Martin Luther King, that I want you to see that this, this love, this, this, this divine love, this agape, is a literal 
force in the world. Carol Jung said this, I cannot say I believe in God. I know. I have had the experience of being gripped by something stronger than myself, something that people call God. So, end of quote. So, again, the way I use the word God and the way I'm introducing God to you and the way the mystics of the world use the word God, it's pointing to this transcendental reality of absolute goodness. I'll, I'll share another story. Recently, I was in Santa Fe, New Mexico, visiting uh, my youngest son, Michael, and his uh, wonderful girlfriend, uh, Samantha. And Michael and I and my wife, Vicki, went to morning mass at the uh, Basilica of St. Francis in Santa Fe. And it was a very beautiful liturgy, multicultural. The homily was good. And then we walked around the grounds, and they're just beautiful. If you ever get a chance to visit the... Uh, the Basilica of St. Francis in Santa Fe, visit it and make sure you walk the grounds. And I think my son said to me, or I said to him, but I think he said it to me. He paused and it was a rhetorical question. Where does such beauty come from? And again, this is the point I'm trying to express. Only beauty can beget beauty. Only goodness can beget goodness. Only truth can give birth to truth. Only love can give birth to love. All of those experiences that we treasure, that most of us treasure, they're pointing to the very essence of love or the very essence of beauty or the very essence of truth. And that essence is what we call so I want to break it down in a way that I think makes sense. And I'm going to borrow a phrase from the Hindu tradition called Satchitananda. And they describe the absolute, the divine, by those three words, Satchitananda. Now, just as a, as a point of reference, and I'll develop this at a later talk perhaps, Satchitananda, those three words that describe the absolute it's a close parallel to the Christian understanding of the Trinity. But again, that's another podcast at another time. So let me just go through those very quickly. Sat means truth and being, being and truth. So what they're trying to express by that is that God does not exist as you and I exist. God is not a being among beings. God is being with an uppercase B. God is beingness. God is the very fabric of reality. God is the very suchness of reality. Another way of saying it is that God is the ground of existence, the ground of my being and your being. God is the great nest of being. And in that sense, God doesn't exist. God is existence itself. And you and I, are, are part and parcel of the, the beingness of God. We are beings within the great nest of God's being. Or Paramahansa Yogananda, a, a great yogi and saint from the West, said that 
that God is this ocean of existence, this shoreless ocean of existence, and you and I are waves on that ocean. Another way of saying it is that God is the root of all roots, the source of all that is. God, again, is the very ground of existence, and you and I are, in a sense, borrowing our existence from the beingness of God's existence. So that's sat. Chit means consciousness. So what that implies is you know, what God is isn't just beingness, but that God is consciousness. Again, God is an infinite, shoreless ocean of consciousness. And you and I exist within that ocean of consciousness. In fact, I'll take it a step further. Your consciousness and my consciousness is a participation in God's consciousness. We're like a parenthesis in this ocean, this infinite shoreless ocean of consciousness. And there's another quality to this consciousness. It's not just a passive uh, witness. It's a dynamic consciousness. Think of it this way. At some level, consciousness pervades all of creation. Now, a plant does not have self-consciousness like you and I have, but we know, studies have shown that how we treat a plant, how we interact with it, literally impacts the vitality of that plant. Uh, and let me take it a low, sort of a, a level lower in the creative process here. We know that the crystalline structure of water is impacted by music we play and the energy around it. So that even H2O has a level of consciousness because how we act around it, the vibrations and the energy that we create around it will impact negatively or positively the crystalline structure of water. So consciousness pervades everything, but it's an organizing consciousness. It's the consciousness that is driving the evolutionary process. And let me give you an example of that. Every three seconds, approximately 50,000 cells in the human body die. And they're replaced immediately by 50,000 new cell cells that know exactly what their job is. Where does that come from? Now you can say, well, that's DNA, but what is DNA? It's information, and information is a reflection of intelligence, and intelligence is a reflection of consciousness. So this God who is consciousness, the absolute, the divine, that is consciousness, permeates everything in an organizing and designing way. In fact, break the word God down, G-O-D, guiding, organizing, designing, consciousness or force. So the third word is again, Satchit Ananda. And Ananda literally means bliss. And I translate that as blissful love. At the very, very core of reality is this energy of love. Think of the Big Bang. What was the Big Bang? It was an explosion of creativity. 
motivated, inspired, energized by the force of love. Teilhard de Chardin, the great Jesuit priest and um, scientist, said that love is the most powerful force in creation and the least understood. So at, a, at, at this level that we're talking about, again, all the world's mystics say this in some way, shape, or form, the very essence of reality, the very core of reality, is this blissful love. And when you and I truly act in a loving way, in a sense, we are just channeling this, this ultimate and absolute love that is at the core of reality. One of my favorite quotes comes, comes from Paramahansa Yogananda, uh, a great saint from India. He says that God is love as a dynamic force. God is love. God's plan for creation is rooted in love, only in love. Every saint who has penetrated to the core of reality testifies that there is a divine and universal plan that is beautiful and filled with joy. End of quote. Joy, bliss, love. The very beingness of creation runs on the energy of love. Now some of you may be asking a very, uh, very good question. Well, how do you connect this absolute love God is love with suffering. And that's a great question. I'm not going to tackle that today. That will come in a future podcast. But I'm just presenting to you again what the world's mystics tell us from both East and West. So I'm going to close with a story that maybe brings all of this down into our day-to-day -day lives if we're open. Uh, my wife has a son, my stepson Evan. And he is... Uh, think about to turn 39. When he was 14 years old, he decided to make snow angels for his two younger sisters. Now let me give you, let me go back two weeks before his snow making adventure. My wife Vicki had a dream and an angel appeared to her in the dream. And the angel gave her a Bible verse to look up. And she looked it up and it's where Jesus said, ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find knock and the door shall be open. So she woke up, she thought to herself, well, I have a pretty good life. I have no complaints. My kids are healthy. It just must have been some kind of random dream. Well, two weeks later, again, my stepson Evan decided to make snow angels for his two younger sisters. So he dove off the family deck headfirst into the snow and he severed his spinal cord. And he's been paralyzed ever since from the shoulders down. And he was found sometime later, literally half frozen in the snow. And when they took him to the hospital, he was still unconscious. His body temperature was 83 degrees. The doctors tried everything they could do. They flooded his organs with warm water. They could not raise his body temperature. And Vicki, my wife, really wanted to get in there and be with him, but the doctors wouldn't let her. And she thought about that dream, ask and you shall receive. So she said a prayer. Please let me get in there and just touch my son. Well, this nurse comes that Vicki looks at. She looks familiar. And it was somebody that she graduated high school with but hadn't seen since high school. And the nurse said, what are you doing here? And Vicki said, well, I'm here. And she explained the accident. And she wanted to get in to see her son, but the doctors wouldn't let her. 
and the nurse said, I'll take you in. So the nurse goes in and she ordered the doctors to let Vicky go to her son. And all that Vicky did was put her hand on his head and asked. The uh, machine that was registering his temperature started to go up beep by beep, 84, 85, 86, 87, 89, 90, got to 93, and then the doctor stepped in and said, okay, we'll take over from here. And Evan survived, and maybe with his permission, I will tell some of his story later on. He's a wonderful human being. He lives in New York City, and he's a wonderful uh, writer and director. But this is my point. Again, all of the world's mystics point to this reality that we call God, that at the very core is Satchitananda, the ground of being, the nest of being that is conscious and conscious of all of us and it's a dynamic conscious consciousness motivated by love so when I talk about God in this way I'm not talking about some vague Star Wars force I'm talking about the reality of reality the ultimate reality of which we are part and parcel I hope you have enjoyed this podcast if you have questions you can please write them. I think there's a link that takes you to my website. And please like this. Please forward it to your friends. And please subscribe. You have a great day. And thank you for tuning in. Be well.